Good evening, church family. If you could please remain standing for our reading tonight. We are reading from Luke chapter 24. Sorry. Chapter 23. Chapter 23, starting in verse 32. If you're looking at your pew Bible, you can start on page 515. Hear now the word of the Lord. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one of his right, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by, watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the others rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Thus saith God's word. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come and gather before you this evening in unspeakable joy for the sacrifice that you have provided for us. Lord, John saw you walking and he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And God, on that Passover so long ago, you became the Passover Lamb. You fulfilled everything written by Moses. As you shed your blood and your blood was placed on the doorposts of our heart and you have passed over us. You have caused us to be free from the law of sin, the free from the law of death, because you, the perfect one, died in our stead. And Lord, we pray that this evening, that as we call this Good Friday, because what happened on this day, that bloody, awful death of the Son of God, has resulted in nothing But good, every drop of your blood that fell to the ground has blossomed in life. It's blossomed in victory. It has blossomed in joy. It has blossomed in peace and reconciliation with God. And we thank you for that, our Lord. And so, Lord, we pray that as in our rapidly paced American lives, Lord, that this is a weekend that demands a lot of us. We pray that this would be a night that we rest at the foot of the cross of Calvary and we remember, Lord, we 
keep in the forefront of our mind. We do not try to sanitize or minimize at all what you have done, but we remember the price that was paid so that we might be free, that we might be healed, that we might be saved. We ask that you would let your cry from the cross of Calvary that it is finished ring and echo in our hearts tonight. We ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So Jen read us that text. And to bring you up to speed, at this point in the story of Jesus' crucifixion, He has endured a night praying in the chilly night air in Gethsemane. He did this while his closest friends slept. He did this in his agony, being so intense that his sweat, the Bible tells us, was great drops of blood. And it was to that same garden that soldiers with clubs and torches were led by Judas, one of his very own disciples who would betray the Son of God with a kiss. Jesus was then led to various trials, first before Annas, the the father-in-law of the high priest Caiaphas, and then he went before Caiaphas, and then he went before the Jewish Sanhedrin, who was the council of religious leaders in Israel. And those people, those in those three trials, he was found to be a blasphemer by their estimation of his words and doings, and he was found to be worthy of death. From there he went on to Pilate, the Roman governor, who found no fault in him, and subsequently finding out that he was a Galilean, sent him to Herod, who was the puppet king of the Jews. When Herod was done with him, he sent him back to Pilate, who Pilate, under pressure from the crowd condemned him to die on a Roman cross. And it was during these six trials that his trusted disciple Peter denied that he even knew the Lord Jesus three times, as Jesus had predicted that he would do. Additionally, during these trials, Jesus was falsely accused. He was punched. He was mocked. He was arrayed in purple He was hit with reeds, he was crowned with thorns, and he was scourged by a Roman cat of nine tails to the point of almost dying, bringing him very near death. And after all of this was done, the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, placed the horizontal beam of his cross, which probably weighed between 80 and 110 pounds upon his shoulders and demanded that he carry his own instrument of execution uphill for a little under half a mile. Well, of course, Jesus was way too weakened from the beatings and the sleep deprivation and all the things that went into that, that he could not do it. He could not carry his cross. And so the Roman soldiers conscripted a bystander named Simon from the region of Cyrene to carry his cross and to, to take him to the place of his own execution. At the end of this short walk, Christ was laid down upon his cross. He was secured to that cross with ropes against his bare skin. He, he, he laid there as nails were hammered into his wrists and into his feet. And the cross was hoisted high. And the king of glory, 
The creator of galaxies hung there naked for all the world to stare at and to mock. And no one participating in his death understood just who it was that they were killing. The Jewish leaders who put all this together, they put this chain of events into motion, they were ignorant by choice because of their unbelief. But others like the disciples were in the dark, but they would soon grasp by Jesus' resurrection and with the help of the Holy Spirit, they would soon grasp the full meaning of this day. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 7. He says, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. And none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. So there is Christ upon his cross. He's not suffering for any sins of his own, because the Bible tells us in Hebrews that he was entirely without sin. And Jesus is not dying because he's some powerless victim of a powerful government. Because the Bible tells us that he had legions of angels at his command. He also said, Jesus himself said, that no one takes his life from him, but that he lays it down of his own accord. And so you and I can only conclude that Jesus is dying in this way for the sake of love. The most famous verse in our Bibles probably is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. It is love is the thing that has crucified heaven's prince. And it was for this purpose of saving the world that Christ was given. It was for that purpose that Christ lived. It was for that purpose that Christ taught. It was for that purpose that Christ worked miracles. He told us that he had come in order to seek and to save those who were lost. Isaiah reminds us that this means you and I. Because he says in the verse that uh, Pastor Paul read, he says, All we, like sheep, have gone astray, and each one of us has turned to our own way. But Christ came to find the people for God, and he did it by doing two things while in the flesh. He said, first of all, he obeyed God's law perfectly. Now, I want you to think about that. He obeyed God's law perfectly. He did it as our human representative. And think about this. This kind of righteousness had never once been achieved by humanity since our earliest days in the garden. No one lived like Jesus lived all the way back from Adam and Eve. 
And, and this meant that none of us were qualified to remove the curse of sin by making satisfactory atonement for it. But secondly, Christ also was, because Christ was so qualified, he became our representative not just in righteousness, but in judgment. Because he was qualified and sinless, he, he was our representative in judgment and he received the full weight of God's righteous wrath. Though he was sinless and perfect, he died as a ransom for the rest of us. For all of us who, as Ephesians describes, were dead in our trespasses and sins. And he never lost sight of this mission. Even hanging on the cross in unspeakable pain, he never lost sight of this mission. This was pain that all of us deserve. Every one of us. Yet none of us will ever experience in this life, none of us will ever suffer anything even close to the crucifixion. So imagine, in this darkened room, imagine, close your eyes, and I want to ask you, do you see Him there? Do you see Christ bruised and bloody, gasping for air, dying between two thieves, as Isaiah said, numbered among the transgressors? He's dying for you. And as he hangs there, barely able to speak, he does not cry for mercy. He does not cry for deliverance for himself. He does not call on 10,000 angels to come and rescue them. But while looking down from the cross on those who are mocking him, on those who have crucified him, instead he prays, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Just less than 24 hours previous to this, Jesus had taken bread and he'd taken wine and he told his disciples that this is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you. And now we see him on the cross and his cry for forgiveness to his tormentors, to those who are murdering him, his cry of forgiveness and this sight of his mangled, gory body give added weight to those words, this is my body given for you, this is my blood poured out for you. The ears of those around him that day did not want to hear words of mercy. They had absolutely no perception whatsoever that they needed to be forgiven. Jesus had said also the night before, He told His disciples, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think He is offering service to God. And that perfectly described the Jews who thought that they were doing in this act of crucifying Jesus, that they were just ridding themselves of another blasphemer. And since they didn't think they needed saving, since they didn't think they needed forgiveness, they threw this salvation back in Jesus' face with these words. Hey, save yourself. And this became the cry of all the witnesses around the cross. The Bible tells us that the Jewish leaders were laughing at the thought that God's Messiah could die on a cross. Save yourself. 
The soldiers, themselves under the authority of Caesar, mocked at this bloody man dying on a cross and yet claiming to be a king. Hey, Jesus, save yourself! And even the criminals hanging beside him found it ironic that Israel's Messiah would be dying next to them. Save yourself! They both shouted it. Matthew and Mark both tell us that both criminals participated in deriding our Lord. But according to Luke, this is so cool. According to Luke, something happened after one of them heard the whisper of our Lord, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. His conscience in that moment became awakened. His heart was pricked and his derision of the Lord ceased. He looked at Christ now and he saw nothing but perfect innocence. And though the criminals were definitely guilty, the one next to them was surely a victim of murderous jealousy. What would make a man... This criminal must have wondered, what would make a man forgive animals like those dancing around at the foot of the cross, rejoicing in the suffering of fellow human beings? What would make a man cry out for the forgiveness of people like that? His wheels began to turn and he thought, could it be this man is exactly who he says that he is? Could it be that he truly is the Messiah, the one who would save us all, the one who would set the world right? Could it be that all this blood and this gore was actually a part of the plan and not a derailing of that plan? And if all of that was true, could there actually be mercy for someone like him A black sheep, an outcast, a degenerate. As he's thinking these thoughts, his thoughts are interrupted by the cruel, sarcastic voice of his dying colleague on the other side of Jesus' cross. He shouts out, Hey, if you're the Messiah, why don't you just do some magic and get us all down from here? Something snapped in this other guy. It, It made his blood boil. Tears filled his eye as this pain filled his heart that was somehow greater than his physical pain. He shouted loudly, making sure that that other thief could hear him clearly. He said, what's the matter with you? Have you no fear of God? You mock, and yet we're suffering the same fate as this man. And yet you know we deserve everything we're getting. But he's done nothing wrong. He turned his head away. And I imagine he wept. And I imagine that those gathered at the cross enjoyed the show that this conflict between these two criminals provided. But he trembled as he remembered his own careless words from earlier in the afternoon. But as that guilt tried to take a place in him, Christ's prayer kept ringing in his ears, forgive them, forgive them, forgive them, 
forgive them. And suddenly he knew, somehow he knew this man must be the king of Israel. He wasn't a theologian. He didn't understand why he was dying. But there was something different about him. There was something that demanded the criminal's trust, that demanded his belief, his full belief. If he was truly the king and truly a man of mercy, he would take a shot and he would beg, beg this man to be remembered in the end. And a new courage within him formed the words. And that courage pushed them from his lips as he looked toward the Lord and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And then the thoughts came. How how would Christ respond when he'd look and say, remember you? You're a thief. I'm holy. I'm innocent. My kingdom is not for people like you. My kingdom is for people like me. But the hairs on the back of his neck, I imagine, must have stood up when Christ turns from his cross and looks this man directly in his eyes. And more strangely, it was not a look of condemnation. It was a look of total, pure love. And then he spoke. And he said, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now think with me about Jesus' words. Truly I say. This was a promise to a dying man from one who cannot lie. From one who is totally true and completely honest all the time. And then Jesus said today, what a beautiful word today is. There would be no waiting. There wouldn't be some eschatological future date. This man would not have to burn off time in purgatory. There would be no working off of his many sins. The promise Jesus was making would be fulfilled this very day. And this promise was this, that you will be with me. He wasn't going where he was going alone. Nor would he lie cold and forgotten in some tomb. Rather, he was promised the eternal fellowship, the eternal friendship, the eternal love of his Messiah. And where were they going? He said, you'll be with me in paradise. He was not going to a place of judgment. No matter his many sins... But he was going to a place of reconciliation, a place of peace, a peace with God that was purchased by the dying man right next to him. Paul writes in Romans 5 verse 6, he says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, Though perhaps for a good person, one would, care, even, would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in, the, in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Therefore, since we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. And it is this promise that God demonstrates His love, that He shows His love to us in that while we're yet sinners, while we're still sinners, Christ dies for us. It is that promise that makes Good Friday good. Jesus has died for the ungodly. And if you're included in that number of the ungodly, would you wave at me right now? Well, I got good news for you. Jesus has died for you. If you are among the righteous because of your own efforts, law keeping and works, Jesus did not die for you. But if you are ungodly, if you are helpless, hopeless and lost without him, Jesus has died for you. And you may be, may be as vile and wicked as a thief on the cross breathing your last breaths. But when you place your trust in Jesus, he says, today, today you will be with me. And that is the promise of the gospel. That is the beauty of the gospel. Though we're criminals, you and I understand what I'm saying there, folks. You and I have everything in common with the thief on the cross and we have nothing in common with Jesus. But we've been forgiven by the death of Christ. We've been reconciled to God. We've been saved by His resurrection life because if we, like the, the thief, believe that He is the one, He will save us. One of my favorite hymns ever written is an oldie. Is written by William Cowper in 1772, but it says, There is a fountain filled with blood. You probably know it. Drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Can I hear somebody that's lost their guilty stains say amen this evening? The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there have I, though vile as he, washed all my sins away. And this is what we celebrate when we come to the table of the Lord. Natalie, Dave, Gabriel, if you would come up here, please. This is what we celebrate when we come to the table of the Lord, that sinners, vile, sinners, unworthy, lose all of their guilty stains because of the blood of the Lord Jesus. And I hope you're in that number. I hope you're in that number. If you are, then we are so glad to be in fellowship with you. And if you're not, we plead with you. We, we make our urgent appeal to you, as Paul says, tonight be reconciled to God. All you have to do like the thief, is believe. You have to repent of your sins, believe in Him, and choose Him over everything else in the world. And He will receive you and He will save you. 
But if you are in that number, I want to ask you all to stand right now. And uh, if you'd just come forward and receive these elements, take them back to your table, and then we will take them together. We are grateful for the sacrament of communion that Jesus has instituted for us so that we would never forget, that we would never forget that a Savior was broken, that a Savior bled so that we could be made new, so that we could be born again and born out of this world and and out of this death into life and life everlasting. And so tonight I'm reading from the book of Luke, chapter 22, verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Pastor Dave, would you pray over the bread? Lord Jesus, it it would have been remarkable for you to have suffered and died for a, a people that that loved you, um, and yet Scripture says that while we were sinners, while we rejected you and hated you and went our own way, even then, Jesus, you chose to die for us, to become a curse on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, thank you that you allowed your body to be broken for for me Um, a sinner for each one of us. And even when we run from you, even when we're unfaithful, even when we chase after worldly things, even when we're apathetic, Lord, your, your sacrifice, what you accomplished on the cross covers all of our sin, all of our brokenness. And through your brokenness, Lord, we are made whole. And so we rejoice and we give thanks to you tonight. How awesome, how wonderful you are, Lord. In Jesus' name. Let's take the bread together. The Bible says, and likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Gabriel, would you pray over the cup? Father, as we know this cup represents your blood that you shed on the cross for our sins to redeem us, to yourself, Father, even though we were sinners and unfaithful, that from the beginning, Father, you have remained faithful to redeem us to yourself. 
Lord, we remember this, Father, as we take this cup, giving thanks to you, Lord, for what you have done, that you have sealed us to yourself, that we would be with you for all eternity, Father. We thank you. Amen. Let's take the cup together. This is all my right. 
first verse again. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Oh, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood. good news for you. The story we told tonight does not end with Jesus dying on a cross. And we're going to tell the rest of that story Sunday morning. So I hope you'll be here with us 10 a.m. But now if you would just place your hands in a receiving position, I'm going to speak a benediction from the scriptures over you uh, that just speaks what my heart is for you in this message that we've shared tonight. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. You're dismissed.